and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, also known as the Guys Guy, welcoming you to our show. It is Wednesday, August 16th, 2017. We're making that final turn in the summer towards fall, and we're having a great summer here in New York City. Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think that talk therapy is the only way to really make progress when you're working on yourself? You might want to think again, because our special guest this evening, Kate O'Connell has a book. It's called Beyond the Imprint, and it's about a new paradigm of thinking within the field of mental health counseling, and it gets beyond the duality of our unconscious condition, understanding that we can change what is outside of us by simply changing ourselves from the inside. And uh, we're going to bring her out in a few minutes, and I'm excited because it's an interesting book, and you know, I uh, recently went through a which I've mentioned on the show, uh, Ayurvedic medicine uh, protocol. And I've been doing it this entire 2017. I'm on the last last bit of it, which is I've been advised to get the metal out of my mouth, get out those metal mercury uh, adhesed fillings. And I just did one yesterday. And, you know, if you're going to put porcelain in your mouth, it's expensive. <laughs> And Ayurvedic medicine is great. It's expensive because our crazy healthcare system is you don't get a break on preventative things. But once you get sick, some of the things are paid for, which goes, I guess, the insurance companies win and the pharma companies win and all of that. But staying healthy actually costs money. You have to uh, eat right. So you might have to pay a little more for your food. You have to uh, keep yourself healthy from the inside out. And uh, a lot of that stuff uh, is not covered by insurance. Um, So just it's worth it. But our system kind of makes it tough for people. Let me tell you a little bit more about that. Um, You know, I have been going through a protocol uh, where I've been taking a lot of supplements And I had to do a lot of uh, IVs where they put a lot of stuff in me to uh, knock off, kill all the pathogens that I might have picked up over the years, Um, oxidizing, for lack of a better term, my blood, blood coming in, blood being taken out, being put back in again, laying in front of a biocharger, um, and then also um, locating through a very simple... um, pinprick blood test through the pinky, um, actually through the index finger, locating emotional trauma that is buried in different organs based on different situations that have occurred at different times during life. And I found I had things in my liver and my pancreas and my kidneys and my small intestines, and uh, we worked with what's called a, uh, and and also balancing my energy, we worked with what's called a lector and uh, essential oils. And it's it's not easy for me to describe it in layman's terms, but basically through intention and using magnets, the emotional stress that had been stored in my organs over years at the cellular level has been removed. And as a result of that, uh, also a lot of my cells in my body are now um, awakened, if you will, and and communicating with each other. So as a result of my protocol, my 
physical, I am actually younger than my chronological age. And, uh, and I feel great. So although this cost me some money, I, I, I think it's really been the right thing to do. And the reason I bring this up is because when I bring Kate on, uh, I want to talk to her about some of this stuff because a lot of what she does has to do with the etheric body, if you will, um, storing emotions, the DNA imprint that we have uh, prenatal at birth. And uh, as we are toddlers and adolescents and adults and how we can kind of break free of our conditioning if we uh, know how to treat our bodies and our uh, selves internal environments properly. Because if your internal environment is in a healthy state, you really can't get sick Uh, when you get things like autoimmune diseases and cancer and stuff like that. That's because you have toxicity built up. So the idea is to eliminate toxicity from your system and have a healthy environment where only the good things can grow. And uh, theoretically, we should be able to live very, very long, healthy lives. And uh, what seems to be happening is that uh, there's some challenges with our food supply where you, uh, you know, with GMOs and everything else, uh, pesticides and uh, it seems like a lot of people are uh, getting sick and then through our medical system, which is fantastic in terms of when you get sick and removing things from the system, you know, robotic surgery is a miracle. I had two robotic surgeries myself three years ago. Absolutely incredible what they can do. Just go in there and, you know, really go into like uh, vascular organs and, and work on you. And it's just amazing. However, um, prevention is not really addressed the way you would hope it to be addressed in Western medicine. So for the individual, I think what you have to do is take it upon yourself to kind of chart your own course uh, with your health. And one of the things I really like about uh, Kate's book is that beyond the imprint is that she takes a different take, if you will, on uh, dealing with things like psychotherapy uh, and talk therapy and, and ways that uh, you can work from the inside out, if you will. So I'm going to bring her on in a few moments, but let's get into a couple of guys, guys things, and then we'll, we'll bring her out. So what's been in the news, um, obviously uh, this whole Charlottesville situation and our president has been at the forefront of every news broadcast. I was watching uh, some, a little bit of sports TV today. uh, One of those shows where they argue with each other about sports and the topic twice during the show was uh, Charlottesville. And uh, it even got to the point where people are so sensitive. They had a big uh, discussion on uh, ESPN's first take about um, the, uh, they were doing a thing for the NFL uh, fantasy football. They did a 24 hour marathon to kind of kick off the whole festivities. And by the way, guys, guys radio is going to feature fantasy football with our fantasy football draft expert, the fantasy football Sherpa going to be on here on August 30th to help you get ready for your drafts. But they did a thing, uh, uh, a segment about auctions, and they had an auctioneer and they'd hold up a little cardboard cutout of a player, whether Tom Brady or Le'Veon Bell or whatever, and then the guys in the audience would bid. And there was a big pushback on that because they said that that, that template was reminiscent of slave auctions. Now, this was for fantasy football. And there was white players and African-American players. But 
what was interesting was that there was a uh, forum on first take and three out of four of the hosts were adamant about the fact that, you know, this was wrong. They shouldn't have had that fantasy football auction done in that type of format. So that's how sensitive things have gotten. I'm not sure if this would have been an issue uh, pre-Charlottesville, but it is now. And that's why people are looking, you know, historically in the United States, we've looked for the president to uh, be the peacemaker, to be somebody who brings people together. And uh, we've got a guy in there with a big ego who uh, uh, has difficulties managing the press. He takes the bait and he paints himself in the corner and then he argues. And, um, He's paying a price because of it now, and I'm not sure what's going to go ha- happen, but we have got some strained relationships going on between uh, Trump supporters, if you will, and uh, everybody else. And it's – I don't know what the answer is, but it's not good, and I don't think his uh, behavior is helping. So we'll see what happens, uh, but it's going to be interesting. I mentioned fantasy football. We're going to have the Sherpa on on August 30th. Um, I mentioned my metal fillings in my mouth coming out and ouch, that's going to hurt me in a pocketbook because I have to get a porcelain crown. Um, and then, uh, later in the show, after Kate comes out and we do her segment, I'm going to do the, uh, weekly guys, guys guide, which I do every week, uh, usually based on one of my blog posts. So, uh, this past week I posted a blog about, um, 10 guys, guys books that, uh, could impact your life. They've impacted my life and they could impact your life. And I'll talk about those books. I'm going to do five of them tonight. Uh, Those books and also um, what I learned, the lessons learned. So it's not just about, it's not just about the books, but it's really about, okay, what, what did I get out of it and how that can relate to you and uh, your challenges and struggles. So I hope you enjoy that. But uh, first let's uh, take a very quick break. And then we're going to bring our guest out in just a few moments. Okay, we're back. Um, Here we are on Guys Guys Radio. Real quick, uh, Guys Guys Radio is all about, uh, it's the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And it all started with my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which is available on Amazon and all the e-tailers. And you can get it in some bookstores still. And it's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. And that begot uh, Guys Guys Radio, which we started out just focusing on relationships between men and women and just couples in general. And then we have expanded the club, so to speak. And we have a lot of folks in the entertainment business. We have folks who are writers. We have folks who are in the healing area, uh, psychics, channelers. And uh, it's all about better men, better world and showcasing uh, for men and for the women who love these men, uh, the opportunities and the tools that are uh, at their fingertips that a lot of guys don't know about. Uh, They're so busy with themselves and so busy with their uh, tasks, if you will, that a lot of guys, I think, uh, get frustrated by the grind and they're looking for something more and they're not sure where to look. So there's lots of tools out there. And one of the things I try to do with guys, guys radio is really expose a lot of uh, uh, content opportunities and individuals that can help them. And it's all about better men, better world. 
You can catch me on my website, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com. I do a weekly blog there. We're up to, we've got like 275 blog posts. There's some videos on there. You can catch me on Facebook, Robert Manny Author. Twitter, Robert at Robert Manny. YouTube, Robert Manny uh, Author. And every podcast, and we're up to 237, I believe. Uh, we're on Blog Talk Radio. That's our platform. Uh, we're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. And if you want to support our work, because I'm bootstrapping this thing on my own and I'm growing and we're growing and the audience is growing, um, go to iTunes, listen to uh, Guys Guys Radio and uh, either subscribe, rate or review our podcast. It's a big help. And I always ask my guests to do that also because they can give themselves a good review. But it really helps. Every good review pushes us up the ladder, if you will, on uh, iTunes, and we get more exposure that way. So I would thank you if you consider that, if you enjoy the show. So let's talk a little bit about our special guest, and I'm going to bring her out uh, momentarily. Kate O'Connell is a child and family therapist with a private practice in Charlottesville, Virginia. Speaking of which, Charlottesville, Virginia. Amazing. Addressing the therapeutic needs of children, adolescents, adults, and families, her training in Intensive in-home services, addiction, family systems, therapy, and energy medicine enables her to facilitate positive outcomes for her clients. And, you know, with Guys Guys Radio, I speak with dating coaches and stuff like that. But every once in a while, we want to get into something that's a, a little more deep. What I attempt to do with my guest is to break it down into layman's terms to just expose people to some of the things that are out there that can help us uh, as alternatives to the traditional um, – modalities, if you will, that we deal with our issues, whether it be psychology or medicine or uh, just wellness in general or even relationships. But so we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive than usual this evening. And uh, let's bring out our special guest, Kate O'Connell, right now. Good evening, Kate, and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you so much. I, I couldn't believe it. You're in Charlottesville. So what's going on down I there? I am How, in Charlottesville. What? There is a lot going on. <laughs> So tell yes, us. It keep, it's keeping therapy, therapists busy, that's for sure. <laughs> now, were you there when, uh, during the uh, march uh, over the weekend no. last week? No. Okay. I took a very different position than a number of people did based on a lot of the things that I've written about in the modality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a perfect extreme example of what happens when we have such divisiveness equally dug into their positions in opposition to each other and the escalation in the energy and then the unfortunate trauma that potentially unfolds from that. Now, what can we do as a nation? Because I think that's just the first one. Now there's something in Austin coming up and something in San Francisco. And for some reason, it seems like the powers behind the scenes are setting up this kind of us against them. They want to get people fighting each other. Uh, I don't know if it's a, as a distraction or whatever, but um, are they leveraging some of the things that have been imprinted in our DNA? So what this is is just an expression of what's been suppressed. And I have a, uh, the good fortune of having been raised in a country that did not fight a civil war. So when I moved in 1990 from Canada, it was immediately apparent to me before I even got into this line of work that there was a tremendous amount of suppressed 
hostility in the land and in the area in response to what is still unresolved in the psyches of the people that live in the South mm-hmm. and around the Civil War. So how it presented itself in 1990 when I first moved to Richmond was they were debating where to put the Arthur Ashe Memorial statue. Mm -hmm. And it took on tremendous amount of hostility and energy because there was suggestions that they put it on Monument Avenue, which is just a long road with monuments of Confederate soldiers and generals. And so it, you know, this has been playing out forever and it, it's coming to the surface because it's trying to find expression in order to find resolution. And so when we talk about the imprint, we can speak about it specific to the individual and the imprinting that's being held in the 50 trillion cells of the body, but we can go very wide with the understanding that imprint is being held everywhere and that if it's not being exposed and if it's not being released, then it will find some outlet for expression. And in the individual who dances in relationship with the other, that often is conflictual. So Mm -hmm. it's either going to be the dance of relationship between a man and a woman or two men or whomever could be a parent and a child. But the unresolved imprinting, will always result in these conflictual power dynamics that play out. So we can either see it uh, occurring at the, on the personal level or on uh, an impersonal level. And this was impersonal because it had an ideology attached to it, but yet everybody that shows up is defending their ideologies as if it's very personal. That's true. That's a great way of ex- expressing it. Thank you. Um, let's take a, 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 a half a step back for a moment for the sake of sure. our uh, benefit of our listeners. Uh, and let's break down. Your book is called Beyond the Imprint. And it's the book is I love the way it's laid out. I went through it over the last three days. And, you, you know, it's you, you make something that could be very complex and it does have a lot of layers, but you do it in a way that is digestible for anybody. So let's start at the beginning and talk about um, uh, a term that you use uh, that I've had people on the show uh, focus on, and that is epigenetics. What, what is epigenetics for the, for the so sake of our Sure. So ex- epigenetics is a branch of science that is so helping to resolve a very long-standing debate in the psychology community called nurture versus, versus nature, in which people are trying to decide whether or not your genetics or your environment is what largely influences you, who you are and mm-hmm. therefore how you develop and what your beliefs and, and, um, and behaviors are. And so epigenetics is the understanding that the environment actually changes you at the genetic level. It changes your DNA. And what I've done is I've actually taken it just, a little bit further by identifying that it's your response to the stimulus in the environment that's actually changing you at the cellular level. So epigenetics, from my perspective, was brought to the layperson through the work of Bruce Lipton in the book Biology of Belief. And I heard you earlier when you were talking about a list of books that are Mm -hmm. must-read, and that would be one of them that I've 
that I put on lists for clients that this is a very okay. import, important important work that breaks all of what epigenetics is about uh, down to a place where people who are not um, scientists can actually understand it. So um, I guess, can you relate to when I was talking about my uh, Ayurvedic, uh, Ayurvedic protocol, uh, getting down to the cellular level and uh, reprogramming my internal environment, if you will, is that similar to what you're referring to when you're dealing with uh, people's DNA and uh, trying to uh, working to uh, uh, help them uh, not be uh, locked into the uh, the prenatal imprinting and the childhood experiences, but being able to be get past all of that. Sure. So it might be helpful if I just give a really brief description of how we're imprinted in the first place. Yes. So from the moment of conception, we inherit all of the imprinting from our respective DNA lineages. And apparently according to recent research, Uh, scientists in the field of epigenetics have been actually able to measure and trace that back 14 generations. And in my opinion, I don't feel the reason to stop there. That's just an indication of that our tools for measurement are limited to that right now. And we know through history that discoveries that are made in science are always going to be limited by whatever tools we have to measure what it is that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So, that's significant to me, but I was already, I had already published the book before that research came out. And so um, that's what we inherit from the moment we're conceived. And that also includes trauma and it explains patterns of intergenerational trauma, where you'll see in every generation, members of the family end up experiencing the same things that the previous generations did, not because they're consciously choosing to do it, but because they're already carrying the memory of having had that experience. So energetically, it will set them up to attract those kinds of experiences to themselves. Give us an example of that. What would be something like, would that be like choosing? Childhood childhood sexual abuse is the one that shows up all the time in the work that I do. Hmm. Hmm. So because I'm not a scientist that has the tools of measuring all of that going back 14 generations, I can tell you that, without exception in the 12 years that I've been doing this work, and I, this is a subject that comes up a lot in the work that I do, if I'm sitting with a, with a young girl who's experienced uh, childhood sexual abuse, and her mother did, and her mother did, and, and once again, based on the research and the understanding of epigenetics and memory as, in, as it is inherited, it would be, it would be very surprising to me to find a generation in which that wasn't an experience that was had. So back through the maternal line, it would be uninterrupted. And that, you know, that can take any form of expression of violation um, Mm -hmm. in a sexual nature um, in which the individual was violated and didn't feel safe. So that's a perfect example of intergenerational childhood trauma or intergenerational trauma. So so what you're saying is like, so a kid that has... Uh, experienced this, maybe his parents experienced it and their parents and their parents, this is something that's been handed down through DNA imprinting? Sure. It, what, what it does is it makes you vulnerable to have these experiences. Okay. So, so genetics creates a predisposition to have experiences at the physical, emotional levels that uh, have been uninterrupted going back through the DNA lineages. So 
again, for this subject that I just use as an example, that would be specific to the maternal lineage because I'm okay. sitting with the daughter. Got it. Got it. Okay. Let's, uh, if you don't mind, I just want to, I know there's kind of a, a specific questions, uh, you know, to ask you that would be more linear, but I just want to flow with this a little bit if it's okay with you. I have a, a okay. four-year-old. Uh, and uh-huh. it might be more relatable to our, I was really, uh, to our audience, but I was really uh, helped. So thank you by your, uh, how you expressed uh, parenting and how that, because I've always found that my son is a, is a teacher and I find myself, um, my wife's much more on your track and I'm more like, no, you know, I, I'm more the, the no guy, the enforcer on things. And I don't want to be that. And I have a sense that my kid knows who he wants to be and he just needs to be a four-year-old. And uh, yet, if you ask him to do something, sometimes he just ignores you. And when it's time to go someplace and time to do something, he's, it's time to do something. So what is your advice in terms of for parents to uh, how not to take all the starch out of your kid and let these kids who, in a lot of ways, know a lot more than we do because they're not tainted the way we are through all of our life experiences. How can we be good parents? That's a great question. And, yes, they're not as conditioned as we are because your son has only been here for four years. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I would want everybody to know is that when you parent, you are unconsciously parenting through your own unresolved imprinting. Exactly. So, so what's happening is is that without realizing it, you're attempting to ensure that your child doesn't have the experiences that you have had because you <laughs> right. judge them. Mm-hmm. And, it, and what I end up telling parents is that's fundamentally arrogant of you to have that expectation, and it's extremely mm-hmm. unfair to expect that of your child yep. because they came here to explore what it means to be here and to figure out who they are. And even though they came through you and your wife, they are essentially very unique and individual unto themselves. And so they are the only ones that are actually going to be able to figure out who they are. And their Mm -hmm. success in doing that is going to be to the degree that you and your wife can go wide. That's the expression I use with parents, go wide. So what, what I do, how I describe that is, you know, you create a safe environment for your child that has a certain boundary uh, a parameter. I like that word better in terms yeah. of how far is your child able to explore where you're comfortable with the understanding that they're going to fall down because that's how we learn. We learn through failure. And mm-hmm. that is absolutely true. That's how your son learned to walk. He couldn't have learned to walk if he didn't fall down a thousand times exactly. before he figured out how to get right. So mm-hmm. that has to happen throughout childhood and adolescence regarding all things. So you want to keep going as your child grows wider and wider in these parameters to give them room to explore and to fall down and to reassure them that that's appropriate and it's fine and you're just there to to be a facilitator of this experience rather than the individual who decides on their behalf what it's supposed to look like. Right. I mean, we, uh, you know, we let him pick out his clothes. I mean, I didn't have this when I was a kid, the clothes were out there and like put the, I just put them on and I went to school, but we like, here's a couple of shirts. What do you want to wear? And it's like, he's been getting this for like, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years now already. So it's, uh, 
I think it's a good thing. Yeah. So it seems it's like, a okay. It's a good thing because that's how he figures out who he is. And, and, yeah. and, you know, it's so magical. It's a perfect example of how magical life can be with a four-year-old because I promise you they're not going to put an outfit together that you would have. <laughs> and he doesn't. Exactly. My niece wore rubber boots for like three years, regardless of the weather. And regardless of what else went with it, my son only wore three outfits for one and a half years, and they all mm-hmm. had capes, and essentially they were all pajamas. Yep. And so they were just superhero outfits, and, and we let him go with it because that was an important part of his development. Yeah. Yeah, we found that um, we put him in a perot at three, you know, because of all this, like this school is so early now. When I was a kid, you know, they just go out in the backyard and play with a stick. You know, you go to kindergarten. Now there's like you're in school for two years before kindergarten. And yeah, that's uh, it's, too intense with, as far as I'm concerned. It's crazy. Uh, we so we put them in a uh, uh, a parochial school at three. And this was their, their first first year or second year that they had pre-K three. I found that they were putting everybody, all the kids, at three in the exact same box, and right. and it wasn't working. So we actually said, you know, this this is not good, and he was not good. happy. And we put him into more of a like a Montessori type of uh, right. environment, and he's been much better. And uh, now he's going to go to a bigger school uh, with a, a public school, and we're going to try that out. But um, I just, uh, you know, our society, you can't start making these kids conform. You know, three is like, what? It's well, that very early. why all of the adolescents are on anti-anxiety medication. And that is horrible because it seems like, you know, uh, what what is your opinion about all this ADHD? And uh, I mean, is this a real thing or, or is this something that's well, being the, the, forced, fostered upon uh, the our kids now? Well, there's a whole big chapter in my book on the American Psychiatric Association and Big Pharma and the fact that every psychiatrist that contributed to the DSM-5 had financial dealings with the pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. And the pharmaceutical companies are essentially creating these diseases so that they can then create the medication for it. And no longitudinal studies have ever been done that have not been funded by pharmaceutical companies to show the impact on these developing brains that don't stop developing until they're 25. So this is the largest social experiment that we've ever undergone in the history of humanity. And Mm -hmm. I'm seeing the results of it. I believe that it's a huge influence in the opiate crisis because the brains have already been seriously compromised as a result of these meds that these kids have been put on from a very early age. And I work with these kids, and when they work with me, they get off their meds, and they function much better. So ADHD is essentially translated as the kids on a really bad diet with a ton of additives and a ton of sugar, and then they're sent to school, and they're asked to sit still for six hours. That's, yeah, and how can they? Because, uh, you know, they when can. you're... <laughs> exactly. They can't, and they're not supposed to. You shouldn't right. be expecting that. And yet it is because of the standards of learning. And so it's like this perfect storm that comes together. And, and then, of course, because of parents' unresolved imprinting and their fear uh, of their child not being successful in ways that they felt they weren't successful, then they often get bullied into medicating their children and they don't have anything else. 
So the one thing I can actually say about this modality is this is the missing piece. If people mm-hmm. can read this book, they'll start to understand that, A, there's nothing wrong with their child, and, B, um, that a lot, of, a lot of things can happen if they circumvent the pharmacological approach as well mm-hmm. as the typical therapeutic approach, which is to, is to try to intervene at the level of behavior. So yep. the behaviors all make perfect sense when you understand what's informing them. So you don't, you don't show up in opposition to the behaviors. You just be very curious as to what's informing them. Like, like where is your child is distressed? So let's find out what's distressing your child. Exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's kids be kids. Um, yes. Let kids be kids. And, and when, you know, there was research back in the seventies in which, a sociologist identified that if you just let kids play for the first seven years, mm-hmm. then what happens when you start to introduce math and English is that all children, the disparity between, say, a classroom of 25 children is non-existent because, A, they pick it up really quickly and there is no disparity that might be there in, in earlier years, in preschool years, because children develop a little differently. So this woman started a school in which these kids were swinging on ropes into mosh pits and painting each other and just playing and, being, and learning the socialization of what it means to right. be human. And then at seven, they were introduced to more formal learning, and by the time they followed them, it was longitudinal. They followed them all the way to high school. And by the time these kids got to high school, they were way ahead of the curve. They were so far ahead of the curve. So not only were they not behind, but they were far ahead of the curve. And they ended up all in, you know, their first choice of colleges. It's sound research, and it makes perfect sense to me. But when you start to project onto children at a very young age because you've introduced them to formal education – that they're not getting it right or they're not sitting still, therefore there's something wrong with them, they take this in very, very deeply, and it very much influences their identity formation. And so they learn at a very early age that somehow there's something wrong with them. Yeah, my only concern going to public school is my kid, he can read now, and I, I, I hope he doesn't go into a situation where it's like they're doing A one day and B the next day and C because he, he's going to be so bored. But we'll see. Uh, that's just yeah. part, of, part of dealing with our uh, culture now. So um, Yeah, the, system, the systems are broken. So you're starting to have the anxiety around the understanding that your child is going to start to participate in broken systems. Yep. That's uh, a shame. So we'll we'll do what we can do. Um, well, having parents who are very aware makes all the difference, and it sounds like you've got this covered. Thank you. Um, and I give all the credit to my wife on that because I'm more of the disciplinarian. Like I, my my thing. She's she does this thing, and you mentioned that something like this in the book though with with consequences. Her thing is like my kid will want to like take a, a his his a Clifford the Red Dog stuffed toy to school. And they have all kinds of stuff at the school he goes to. So he doesn't need to bring it on the bus and all of that. And uh, I'll just say no. And she'll say, well, he can take it there. But then if he doesn't, if he takes it there, then he can't play with it when he comes home. It's going to get put away for a couple of days. Um, 
so it doesn't become an issue. So uh, we're working out all this stuff in terms of uh, she's more about consequences and I'm more about like yes or no um, based on logic. And uh, I don't know if either of us is completely right because uh, he knows how to work. My son knows how to work the system. Is that just how kids are? They like look at one and well, look, at, learn look at, at the other. Children learn at a very young age how to get their needs met. However, yeah. I'm most curious as to why it's been identified that it's not okay for him to bring Clifford to school. Well, apparently at four, if this is important to him, then it just means it's important to him. It must yeah. be some source of comfort to him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, so they have all types. Go, yeah. go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Well, I was going to say, you're asking him to go to participate in an environment that's much wider than the safety of your environment, and he may need to have something that he can just hang on to that helps him feel safe. Yeah, that's interesting because children one day will it'll not, be... Children will not show you their fear and anxiety if they're being asked to show up a certain way in an environment that doesn't feel safe for them to express their fear and anxiety. Yeah, it's interesting because he... He picks out different things. One day it'll be Clifford, and then the next day it's he wants to bring a, a Metro card with him, which is fine. Um, and then another day he wants to bring a receipt or something like that. It's just totally random, but he always has to have something he brings along. He's going to go into his bath. He has to bring uh, some plastic thing just to bring in there to walk from the living room into the bathroom. But we just let him do all of that. The thing with the yeah. big plush toy is that you know, it's, you know, you get on the bus and he drops it and it's filthy and he gets to school and the other kids take it. And then he, half the time he loses stuff and then he asks where right. it is. And then we, so it's that, it's like, it's more of the, it's more about us because it's the hassle factor than it is about just That's him right. feeling comfortable. So I, I have to get, I learned from reading your book today uh, that, you know what, I, I have to do things a little bit differently. So thank you. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> uh, you mentioned something, uh, that all people have uh, in terms of what we hide away and don't acknowledge about ourselves as we go through life. And that is what you refer to as the shadow self. Um, making a little bit of a turn in our conversation, could you talk sure. a little bit about what that, what that is and how we can uh, address it as adults? Sure. So Carl Jung was responsible for making us aware of our shadow material. It's very archetypal. And in my experience and what I believe is that the shadow material comes from our imprinting, comes from our wounding. And so essentially what's happening is that we are doing our best to separate ourselves from and to suppress and hide from others what it is we judge about ourselves, the aspects of the self that we loathe, out of fear that if people were to get a peek at it, that they would run screaming in the other direction. And so this always comes down to survival. And in order for us to survive, the human race needs to be connected to the other. That's who we are. We need mm -hmm. to be in relationship with the other. And so we need to be approved and we need to be accepted and we need to be loved. And yet, because of our conditioning and because of our imprinting, we've come to have these extremely negative limiting beliefs about the self and everybody has them. And part of what we do when I'm with clients is we sort of excavate what those might be just because those limiting beliefs are always our stumbling blocks 
to having the experience that we desire. They're what hold us in bondage. So we believe that we're not worthy of love, essentially is what's informing all of our shadow material. We believe that we're not lovable. We believe that we're not attractive. I mean, it all evolves from believing that we're not lovable. Everybody's got sort of a different sort of emphasis on what that actual narrative might look or sound like. And so what we want to do is we want to bring that shadow stuff up into the light and take a really good look at it and embrace it and not be in opposition to it, not be split. So the shadow material informs us being split as individuals and those split energies set us up to have extremely dysfunctional relationships and mm-hmm. and dysfunctional behaviors and extreme reactivity to stimulus showing up in the environment. And it actually is the source of our suffering. Interesting. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about um, another area that you mentioned in the book that I found fascinating was ad- adrenal fatigue. Um, and uh, because I, when I went in for my, uh, at the beginning of my Ayurvedic uh, uh examination, if you will. Uh, and the backstory to that is, uh, three years ago I was out running and I had incredible pains in my side and I came home and I got a CAT scan and I had a kidney stone, but I also found I needed robotic surgery on, on each kidney. And then I, after talking to the doctors afterwards, everything was okay and all. And uh, I said, well, how does this happen? And they said, well, it's sporadic. And I didn't believe that. And one of my guests, Dr. Amit Goswami said, you should go to this New York Innovative Medicine Place, and they'll they'll look at you know your environment inside the causal. They'll get down to the cellular level, cause and and then symptoms. So one of the things they told me when they took just a little pinprick of blood, they said your lymphatic system is not um, uh, eliminating toxins fast enough from your body. So things are building up, and uh, that's that's creating issues for you. Uh, but it's very addressable. And uh, so when I read this passage in your book about adrenal fatigue, I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I was told. And it's a real thing because if you can't get this out of you and one of the things they've given me all kinds of supplements, all homeopathic natural supplements. But the one I keep getting all the time is magnesium. And you mentioned magnesium uh, in your book on page uh, 165, where this whole adrenal fatigue thing is. So could you talk to us? Because I'm sure. Uh, I'm not the only one who has this where our systems kind of get backed up. They work to our system works too hard to rid ourselves of toxins that gets built up just from modern life. And what happens is then uh, we start to pick up problems in other areas of our uh, systems, if you will. Sure. So, yeah, this is something that's addressed very early on when I start working with a client, because just in general, you know, we don't want to get into the emotional aspect of what's out of balance before we start talking about how to support the physical body because that's mm-hmm. where you need to start. And so everybody, in my opinion, has adrenal fatigue just because this is 2017 yeah. and because we're pl- plugged into the computers and the TVs and the messages that are chronically coming through are extremely fear-based. And so, you know, yes. our adrenals and, and all of how that operates is, goes back to tribal times thousands of years ago when a threat would walk through the village like a Siberian tiger and then 
we became activated in response to either fleeing or fighting it. But mm-hmm. when the tiger came through, it was very infrequent and it was very brief. And then what would happen after the trauma in which there was a response is that then the nervous system could regulate quickly after having the adrenal response, the fight or flight response. And so we're living in the 21st century in which there is just unending chronic stress. We are, because again, our conditioning has us drawing our sense of worth from how much we do. And if you live in a city like New York, it's just a very stressful environment. Just from going from point A to B is stressful. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, and then all of all of the other toxins that we're exposed to that stress the physical body. So, with adrenal fatigue, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to be in balance and actually be able to have a measured neutral response to any stimulus that shows up in the environment that's stressful, like that actually has you constantly in fight or flight mode. So, you know, yeah. you're constantly mm-hmm. guarded, you're constantly defended. And it, and, and, you know, and as you had identified quite appropriately, it's, it that then ends up not being just specific to the adrenals because all organs end up being involved. The body just becomes overwhelmed and, over time, we age quite quickly, like prematurely. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we also, in response to that, pick up very, very unhealthy coping mechanisms like pharmacology, alcohol, recreational drugs, all other forms of addiction, including workaholism. And so um, so the first thing that I talked to to, um, to clients about is the nervous system. And I actually, I think in the book when I wrote it, which was not long ago, I had specifically identified adrenal liquid adrenal support. But since that book's been published, I came across the awareness that liquid valerian root treats the nervous system at the deepest level. Okay. So it, it kind of trumps the adrenal support because what I found out in working with valerian root, liquid valerian root myself, is that um, it actually enhances sleep. It, 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 it is a great treatment for insomnia because most insomnia is anxiety fueled. It's because you can't turn your mind that's off. That's a, yes. that, that's a response yes. to chronic anxiety that comes from chronic stress that fatigues the adrenals. Mm -hmm. So I have found, because if it works for me, then I start getting clients to try it, and no exception, whenever there's no exception to an intervention, I absolutely advertise it. And there's been no exception from anybody who is 16, who already has an anxiety disorder, to somebody who's in their 60s, um, people Mm -hmm. immediately experience profound benefits from that. And the first place they notice it is how easy it is to go to sleep for the first time in I don't know how many years. Oh, that's great information. So liquid valerian root. I'm going to look that up. Yes. Uh, yes. That's interesting. I did not get, I don't have a sleeping issue. So I didn't get, in terms of, I have a laundry list, everything from pumpkin seed oil and every, you wouldn't believe how many, uh, uh, homeopathic supplements that I've been taking. Um, but apparently it's been really working. My toxicity level has been cut by a hundred percent. So that's really yeah, good. Yeah. Homeopathy My, is profound. 
homeopathy yeah. is very profound, and you're very, very blessed to have stumbled upon it. Oh, and, it's been, you know, it's, it's a life yeah. changer. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was reading an article today in the paper, and I'm like, there they go again. It was all about how supplements don't work. You don't need supplements. And uh, I was like, you yeah. know what? You wonder, I wonder who's paying for that ad. Yeah, exactly. Or, 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 I was looking for who's <laughs> behind this, you know. Uh, it's like, come on. Uh, so let's, I would let's like talk. to say one thing about supplements that people wouldn't normally know, and I've, and I've come to understand this because of my own physical issues, because this is how we become very learned in these subjects, uh, in the mm-hmm. way that you've become learned. So supplements is also a multi-billion dollar industry, and there's a lot of people out there that are doing their best to try to figure out what to take, but right. the bottom line is, is there's no guarantee that what you're taking is actually being absorbed by the mitochondria of the cells. Right. So I strongly encourage people that don't have the guidance that you are experiencing with this particular traditional uh, branch of medicine to um, learn about kinesiology because the body is a binary system. And so through kinesiology and muscle testing, you can actually ask your body what it is that's appropriate for it to take. And that Mm -hmm. includes you know, whether it's a high-grade multivitamin. And in my own research, I came across one particular multivitamin that's the highest-grade liquid vitamin that I could come across that gives the body the most opportunity to actually absorb those nutrients because you have to have a proper combination of vitamins and minerals for the body to synthesize it. Most people aren't educated about that. Right, and that's a great point. Um, you mentioned uh, something that's, uh, I think, so important, and it's towards the end of the book. Uh, and, then, again, the name of the book, our special guest on Guys Guys Radio is Kate O'Connell, LPC, and uh, the book is called Beyond the Imprint, and it's just a terrific book. But you stress the importance of gratitude. And uh, mm. I know everybody seems to think about all that woe is me stuff because uh, between day-to-day life and how the media pounds on us in terms of, you know, you're not good enough and you need to be afraid and everything's falling apart. Tell us about the importance of gratitude. So it's very interesting. To your health. Because I came, well, sure. I came to understand in all of the training I've done with spiritual teachers that represent all the wisdom teachings on the planet is that, you know, typically when people pray, that essentially it's a petition to God to give them what it is they don't have. So the focus in prayer is often what's lacking. And so when we work at the quantum level, we understand that whatever you focus on is what you recreate. So on that note, it is absolutely important to take note of what it is you do have, what it is you are able to provide for yourself and your family these moments of joy, these moments of play when you have a four-year-old. Let him lead lead because he'll take you places you could never go without him Mm -hmm. leading because he lives in a magical world. And and so when you have a four-year-old, you will find lots of opportunities for gratitude. And in focusing on on gratitude, it is a frequency. It's the same frequency as love. So, you know, the more it's it's about developing the capacity to receive profound 
experiences beyond anything that you can imagine. And in doing that, you want to be able to increase your capacity to be able to acknowledge that you have already a lot of things in your life to be grateful for. So when we focus on the opposite, our victimology, all the things that aren't showing up the way we expect them, and that's what we actually end up recreating is those experiences. Got it. Uh, Makes perfect sense. Well, listen, I've had you on for a long time, and because you're fascinating, you're doing great work, and I thank you for that. And also, the book is terrific, Beyond the Imprint. Um, Kay, tell us where our audience can uh, and our listeners can learn more about you, where they can pick up the book, etc. Great, great. So the book is available on Amazon.com, and my personal website is my name backwards, so O'Connell, O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L, Kate. K-A-T-E dot com. But what I'm the most excited about right now is the nonprofit that I've created as an educational and health platform to further develop the thesis in this modality and take it into the schools. I will be taking this into the schools and I will be teaching other therapists how to do that. So the nonprofit is the Healing Alliance of Central Virginia and the website is H A. Fantastic. Well, listen, Kate, I want to uh, thank you. You've been a, you know, I wasn't sure when I got the book, I'm like, geez, I'm going to have to do a deep dive on this. But you know what? It was fascinating. <laughs> it was easy to thank do. You. And I related to so much of the book as to what's going on in my life. And I don't do it just because it's me. I think any of our listeners uh, who pick up the book will have the same experience because it's very practical is very intelligent is very practical and it really illuminates a lot of things that, that that can help us in our in our day-to-day struggles and journey uh through this uh, crazy world that we live in so thank you so much for being on guys guys radio i really enjoyed speaking with you and i really enjoyed your book so thanks a lot well thanks for having me i really enjoyed the conversation fantastic me too okay so uh, I'm going to take a break now, folks, and then we're going to come back and we're going to do the Guys, Guys Guide. We thank our special guest, Kate O'Connell, and her book, Beyond the Imprint, and we will be back in a few moments. Okay, I'm back, Guys, Guys Radio, and as I do at the end of every show, uh, our Guys, Guys Guide. And I, this time I focused on... Uh, a blog post I did about 10 books that had a major impact on my life. Uh, and I think that could be relatable to your life out there. So, and it's not what you typically might think of. Uh, they work in different ways. So I'm going to start with the first five and they're in no particular order. So the first book is, uh, you know, sometimes when you go to a bookstore, the book finds you. Uh, I remember that when I found the book, uh, The Power of the Subconscious Mind, which could have easily been in here by Dr. Joseph Murphy about hypnosis. And that got me on a path to becoming a advanced clinical master hypnotist. Um, but uh, and I didn't even put this on the 10 books um, because I have I have others in different areas. But I, this one is another book that I'm going to mention called I Am the Word by Paul Selig. Paul Selig is a uh, empath and a channeler, and he's been on the show a few times and he works with uh, guides who channel books through him uh, right into print. There's no editing. He's done, I think, five books now. And the first one was called, I is called, I Am the Word. And it's really about, if I could boil it down to one sentence, it helps us be able to 
recognize the divinity, divinity in our fellow man. And uh, I read the first book, his first one, I Am the Word, three times, uh, and then it all sunk in. And then each progressive book that I've read, and they come out about once a year, has, has been easier to digest and has opened. It's like playing chess. Once you learn how to play the game, then the game opens up. Or when you learn how to ski or play golf, the better you get at the game, the more it opens up and the more there is to learn about it. So fantastic. And it's really changed my life. And I think it can change yours also. So I am the word Paul Selig. That's number one. And he's been a frequent guest on Guys Guys Radio. The second is uh, a book uh, called Post Office by Charles Bukowski. I love Charles Bukowski's writing. He's a brilliant writer. Uh, he has a book called Women, which uh, influenced, me, influenced me a lot also. But the reason I picked Post Office is that it's about struggle. And what I learned from uh, uh, Bukowski's book is he had a very brutal upbringing. He had an abusive father. He worked in the post office when he got uh, older, when he got out of high school. He traveled around the country. He kept writing and writing and writing. And he never really became a full-fledged writer until he was 39 years old. Uh, And he spent about a dozen years in the post office and as a mail clerk. And it takes the reader through the repetition and the futility of working in such a soul crushing environment. Yet there is a spark of life to it. And when Bukowski finally gets through all this, he becomes one of our most renowned writers of the 20th century. So uh, any of his books is fantastic, but I, I, I picked post office because it's about sticking to it, sticking with your struggle because you can get through it like Bukowski did, uh, even at a, a later age. Um, third book, Man, Child, and the Promised Land, Man, Child, and the Promised Land by Claude Brown. This was like the first serious book I ever read. I was about maybe 10 years old. I, had a, I have an older brother. He's three years older, and he's a voracious reader. And uh, I would sometimes read the books that he had read. And a kid in Bergen County, New Jersey in the 60s, and I was like, or 70s, and I was like, wow, this is like a life in Harlem. And it was real, and it was about pain, and it was about struggle and redemption and breaking through, as Claude Brown did. He got through his troubled upbringing, and it really opened my eyes that, like, you know, not everybody is as blessed as I am in terms of growing up in a nice house and a nice home and nice uh, neighborhood in suburban New Jersey. Like, wow, some kids really have it tough. And ironically, now I live in Harlem. But fantastic book if you ever get a chance to take uh, to pick that, that one up. The fourth book I picked is uh, for the first five is Story by Robert McKee. Robert McKee is considered the world's foremost story expert. And if you're in a creative field, Whatever creative field you're in, um, story and storytelling becomes paramount because it's all about what somebody wants and why they can't get it. And it creates a conflict and a struggle. And McKee is considered the expert in Hollywood, uh, also with a lot of uh, screenwriters and authors in general, novelists. And uh, I've been to some of his conferences, uh, one about love stories and also just the basic story uh, three-day conference and it, it, it the book's amazing and um his conferences or seminars are amazing also and uh if you're in the creative field whether it be advertising or songwriting or 
whatever, you're going to be dealing with story. And uh, there's no better person to teach you the fundamentals of story going back to the time of Aristotle to the current times is, is then Robert McKee. Another, uh, the last one for this week uh, is Ball Four by Jim Bowden. When I was a kid growing up in suburban New Jersey, Jim Bowden lived there also. He was a pitcher on the New York Yankees, and he wrote the first tell-all book about baseball, and he really blew the cover off of the behind-the-scenes internal machinations of the New York Yankees of the 60s, those championship teams, and he exposed them as really hard-partying, hard-drinking, womanizing wild guys that they were and all of the politics that took place in the, the, in the dugout in the locker room and uh, what a wild bunch they were. And, you know, these books are, you know, dime a dozen nowadays. He wrote the first one and he was vilified for that. And he was also, he was a very good pitcher. He, he started out as a fastball pitcher. He had a big high kick and his hat used to fall off all the time. And then he developed a knuckleball. A very, and also, he was one of the uh, brains behind the development of the product Big League Chew, the uh, uh, bubblegum. Uh, just a really interesting guy. I corresponded with him, and um, he actually turned me on to his agent uh, when I started writing. And uh, I just was inspired by Ball Four. And also, uh, not just the fact that he let us uh, peek behind the curtain into what really goes on with these major league baseball teams and the humanity of these so-called superstars. But he really did a good job writing the book. It's very well written. I remember the beginning of the book is about, he envisions himself in a parade, uh, uh, winning a world championship, a world series, and he's in a parade and everybody's cheering for him. And it was beautifully laid out. And it inspired me to write. And in fact, when I was in high school, uh, the first writing I did was I wrote a book about our baseball team when I was a junior in high school. And it was called Off the Bench. And it was about my life and times on a uh, baseball team, high school baseball team. We had a lot of drama and a lot of politics. And I ended up uh, going from a starter to a benchy, as we called it. And uh, But it got me on the road to writing. And people actually, I had some copies made and Actually, English teachers in my high school read the book to their students. I got in a lot of trouble with our coaches. Uh, I was kind of a pariah because of that. But the students uh, uh, loved me and knew that uh, I was telling the truth. And it really inspired me and spurred me on to be a writer. So I thank Jim Bowden for that original inspiration for that. So that's my five, my first five for the guys, 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 five books that uh, can change your life and have life lessons. And uh, we'll do the second five next week. Next week, we're going to be back uh, same place, same time. And our special guest is a, an author, Prema Laguerre. And she writes a book about how to, uh, about manifestation, basically. So we're going to get her on here next week. And then, as I mentioned earlier, on um, August 30th, we're going to have Scott Sweeney, the fantasy sports Sherpa. We're going to do our fantasy football show it's my favorite show of the year uh because i play fantasy football i actually won my league last year uh so i can't wait to get scott on here so anyhow i hope you're enjoying your summer i hope you continue to have a great last couple of weeks and make the best of it get out there don't wait around because before you know it's going to be rainy it's going to be november you're going to you're going to be thinking about you know i got to buy holiday presents for people and all of that kind of stuff so have fun 
be present, get out there, and do your thing. And remember, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>